Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. I think one of the hardest places for us to be and one of the hardest times in our life is when we're waiting, especially when we're waiting on the unknown. When we're waiting and we're not sure what the outcome is going to be someplace in our life or some situation in our life. I was thinking back this week on some of the biggest seasons or times in my life when I found myself having to wait, completely helpless to really do much at all, but having to wait and see what happens. As a child, I remember sitting and waiting in a hospital waiting room to see how my aunt's cancer surgery would go with the rest of the family waiting for hours to see how that turned out. As a freshman in college, I remember absolutely doing horribly that year in that summer, waiting to see if another school would even allow me to come and study there. It was a few of the hardest months of of my life to that point, just waiting and seeing what happens. I remember waiting and seeing what would happen the first time my mom got cancer. What's going to happen in this surgery? Is it going to be resolved? Can't do anything at all. I remember waiting now to see what happens with her current cancer treatment as cancer popped up again. And the waiting, waiting for the resolve, waiting for answers, waiting to see how things pan out. I remember waiting after the first fertility surgery that I had to see if it actually took. And then I remember waiting after the second one to see if that took waiting to see what would happen. Where would there be resolve? What would redemption look like? What would goodness look like? What would building our family look like? For every single one of us, there have been times in your life that you can relate to personally where there has been a dark cloud or what seems like a tornado kind of over your life or over a situation in your life, big and small, where you're you're helpless where you don't know what to do, or maybe you can't do anything, and all that you can do is wait and see on the unknown how something's going to pan out. Maybe something at work, how's this going to pan out? What's going to happen with this boss? What's going to happen with this job? Maybe it's in your marriage. You've hit a really rough patch, and you're not sure how things are going to pan out. You're not sure what this relationship's going to look like. Something happened that you didn't expect. Something looks like you never expected. Maybe it's with your children. Things haven't worked out exactly the way that you thought they would, or maybe they've had a health diagnosis that you never expected, you never planned on, and you're waiting on God to see what's going to happen. Or maybe it's just with some of your desires that you have, good desires, desires that have been placed in your heart, desires for marriage, desires for family, desires for relationships, desires for healing, desires for addictions to be broken, and you find yourself in a period of waiting. And for some of us, we're there right now. And it can be the hardest and scariest place to be. And what we've seen throughout Ruth so far is a bit of this. There's been great tragedy. There's been death. Naomi loses her husband, and then she loses both of her sons. Ruth loses her husband And she leaves her land that she knew, and she goes into a foreign land with her mother-in-law, and they don't have much of anything, and they're pretty much helpless, and they're waiting, 
and they're waiting. And in the midst of this story, and in the midst of these horrible circumstances in their life, this man, Boaz, he pops up. He shows this foreign woman kindness. He shows this foreign woman grace. And, and Ruth goes back to her mother-in-law and says, explains what happens, and she says, oh, that's Boaz. He's actually related in the sense of he was part of my family line. Maybe he's the one who's going to be a redeemer. And so she sends Ruth, and she sends Ruth back to Boaz. And what we saw last week is, is this. We saw that, that Naomi in sending her had really good intentions but a bad plan. Naomi essentially is trying to manipulate or manufacture an outcome, and we see that that just doesn't work, that it's not a good idea. But yet in the midst of it, God still offers his grace. He still shows kindness. He shows protection. And Boaz being a man of God and who God is using in this story to show us himself steps up. But what we're left with at the end of chapter 3 is the unknown. The unknown. We're right in the middle of it. Boaz is going to go to the man who's actually in line, first in line to redeem Naomi's land that belonged to Elimelech, her husband who died, and to redeem Ruth, the first in line, to see if he's willing. And if he's not, what Boaz says is that as long as he lives, he will seek to bring redemption. And that's what we jump into today. And I hope, my prayer for you is, is that you're, that for all of us, we're expectant. I think expectant's a good word. I think it's one that we don't use enough. Meaning that we're expectant that God is really good enough. That God is really who he says he is. That God really hasn't just left us or abandoned us. We're expectant that God is going to show up in our life. We're expectant that God knows what he's doing. And what I love about the chapter that we're going to jump into today is what we've seen is a lot of hurt, pain, bad circumstances. And what we're about to see ushered in is joy, redemption. So I hope you're ready for some good news, because that's what you're going to get today. For some of us, we need good news so badly. We've been sitting in the gutter. We've been sitting in the rut. We've had doubts. We've had pain. We've had poor circumstances. We're not sure which way is up and which way is down. And what we need, what you need, what my soul needs more than anything is good news. Amen? That's what we need is good news. So get into it today. Don't sit silent. Don't sit with your heads down. Don't just make it another rhythmic thing where you came to church today. Embrace what God is going to say in his word today. Let's not just be people who hear and do nothing, but let's be people who hear and rejoice at the goodness of Jesus. Cool? So we're going to jump in here to chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is important right off the bat. What I want you to see here is that you are going to see Jesus in amazing ways throughout this chapter. We've already seen him throughout the book, but don't miss it. If you preach, read, look at this book in this chapter and you miss Jesus, you've missed everything. You are going to see him come out in such amazing, joyful ways that point straight to him and exactly what he's done for us. And so I don't want you to miss this. It said, Boaz has gone up to the gate and sat down there. What that means is that Boaz has left his harvest. And don't forget, this was a time of famine. They were just coming out of a time of famine. No food. You know the one thing that you don't do? You don't leave your harvest. Literally, what we found is the night before, he's sleeping on the grain. 
You know what that means? It's precious. They don't want anybody coming in and stealing it. He doesn't want his own workers to steal it. He is guarding this. Imagine the thing that is most valuable to you, you are guarding. And that's exactly what Boaz has been doing. So the fact that he would leave his harvest, he would leave what is most valuable to him, and he would go to the gate is so important because it shows us a shift in his life. No longer is the harvest most valuable to him, but the most valuable thing in his life, the most important thing to him is is Ruth and is finding resolution to the situation that she is in. You know who else left something that was valuable to them? Jesus. Jesus, the perfect, spotless, blameless son of God, left his kingdom, left his kingdom for you, left his kingdom for me, left what was most valuable at a point even his father, because there was something else that was valuable, our lives. So here's what happens. Boaz has gone up to the gate and he sat down there and behold, the redeemer, we don't get his name, but the one that was first in line, the one, that, the one that actually should have been looking out for Naomi and Ruth all along, but wasn't, he comes walking by, of whom Boaz has spoken, he came by. Well, that's, a, that's good timing, right? And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relatives Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders and and of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said... I will redeem it. I think what's amazing here is that Boaz, he's, he's not cutting corners. We saw that in the last chapter. It's kind of a weird situation. Ruth shows up. She's laying at his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night at midnight, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here? And she's presenting herself to him, and she says, I'm your servant. She comes basically with hands open, not much to offer, and she says, will you covenant with me? Will you redeem me? And Boaz is so happy that she would think of him to be her husband, but he says there's one that goes before me, and he's a God-honoring man, and so he doesn't cut corners. He goes about this the right way. And here's what I want you to see is that Boaz isn't a flat character in this. Did Boaz have desires? Absolutely. Did Boaz probably want to get married? Absolutely. Did Boaz want to have a family, want to have children? Absolutely. But he chooses not to manipulate the situation. He chooses not to force something. Instead, he goes about this the right way, even though it means things may not pan out the way that he hoped. And what we see here is the result. After Boaz says, there's this land, will you redeem it? And the man says, I will redeem it. The result is that this is going to look different then what Boaz and Ruth thought? Is she going to be redeemed? Yes, absolutely. But is it going to look different than Boaz redeeming her, at least up to this point? That's what it looks like. And here's a big question for us. Are we okay with that? Are you okay if God redeeming something in your life, he does, but not in a way that you anticipated? If he chooses to show up and do something that doesn't look like you expected or you necessarily hoped? Are you okay with that? 
This is a big question. This is a big question for all of us, and this is one of the things that I think ties us down. This is one of the things that we should look at when we're examining our own hearts and say, am I really surrendered to God? Well, are you okay if redemption looks different than you planned on? That's a big question. Something for us to think about here. Because that's what it looks like is going to happen. This other man says that he'll redeem. But this isn't the end of it. Boaz continues. He says this. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, so okay, you've said you'll redeem the land, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, all of a sudden this new piece comes in. We're not just asking you to redeem the land, we're asking you to redeem a life. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This man couldn't redeem it. He could not bring about total redemption. We don't know exactly why. We don't know if maybe the cost was too high. We don't know if he already had a family and this was going to interfere with that. But for whatever reason, when this life comes into play, when Ruth's future comes into play, this man cannot redeem it. He says it. I cannot do it, so you have to take it and you have to redeem it. In our pain, in our confusion, in our frustration, in our doubts, in our anger, in our pride, we often run to things. How often do we run to things that simply can't truly redeem us? We run to things with empty promises. We run to temporary delights and give up real joy. We run to things that we believe will make us happy, but end up leaving us empty. How often do we run to false idols, to things that we believe can give us what our heart is looking for, and we run so quickly. We're not patient. We're often running because the waiting and the unknown is so scary. How often do we do this? We run to a spouse. We run to kids. We run to a job. We run to wealth. we, We run to health, believing that it will redeem us, believing that it will fulfill us. But here's the truth. These things don't make life all better. The spouse, the kids, they'll disappoint you. They'll let you down because we're all human. We have sin. The job will become tiring and monotonous at times. The money and the health will eventually run out. We need something more than better circumstances. Hear that. In your life, you need something more than better circumstances. Don't hang your hat on, something, on just better circumstances. If I can just get this, then I'll be good. That's an absolute lie. Because we need something far better. We need something far greater. More than that, we need someone. What this man, the one who could not redeem, he represents you and I. No matter how hard you try, you cannot give yourself what you truly need. Not only in circumstantial ways, because you've probably seen that in your life just like I've seen it in my life. When we try to force things, when we try to manipulate, when we try to take things into our own hands, oftentimes it can end up being a mess. But think about it in the greater scheme of things. Think about it in the big picture. Think about it in your greatest need, your sin, your flaws, all of it. You cannot redeem yourself. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many laws of the Old Testament you try to hold up, you cannot redeem yourself because we're all in the same situation. We all have sin. We inherited it and we're walking in it. 
And we cannot do what needs to be done. And so as this man represents us in the redemption that we think sometimes we can accomplish, Boaz absolutely represents Jesus in an amazing way. The only one that can offer you redemption. And you know that Boaz is a godly man because not only was he willing to take Ruth, he was willing to take on a mother-in-law, right? I'm just kidding. I, I love my mother-in-law. Um, she is one of the nicest women I've ever met. But Boaz represents Jesus, and here's what I want you to see is that Jesus has been willing and is willing to take all of your past, the things you never wanted to share, the things that you never want to share, and he's willing to take all of your present, and he is willing to take all of your future. He's willing to take absolutely all of it and bring about redemption in your life, not just leaving you alone, but bringing about the redemption that you and I need, a heart redemption, a soul redemption, something much deeper. This is what Boaz represents, pointing us straight to Jesus. And here's what I find amazing that sticks out to me in this passage especially, is that you'll notice who's missing here. Ruth isn't there. Ruth isn't at the gate. Boaz is at the gate. This other man's at the gate. There's these witnesses at the gate. But Ruth, you don't, you don't find her here. She comes to Boaz with absolutely nothing to offer. Completely surrendered. She uses the word servant. And Boaz steps up and goes on her behalf. Jesus has gone on your behalf to the Father. And he has said, these people that are helpless that on their own are hopeless, that are scarred, that are beat up, that are bruised, that are confused, that are angry at times, that are rebellious at times. Father, I'm coming to you and I am saying right now, I want to represent them, I want to redeem them, and I can do it. I have the ability to do it. And the Father knows that Jesus has the ability. The Father sends Jesus down into our world to walk among us because he's the only one that could live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He's the only one that would keep his eyes 100% centered on the Father, praying to the Father in communication and community with the Father. He's the only one that would show such grace and kindness and mercy, the kind that we struggle with each and every day. He's the only one that could bear the cross, the brutality, the pain of all of our sin, of all of our hate, of all of our shortcomings, of all of our wanderings, of all of our doubts, of all of our rebellion. He is the only one that could do it. And he took it all the way to the cross. And as he hung on that cross, he says those amazing words, it is finished. Which means that he has purchased you. That if you are his son or his daughter, you've been redeemed today in Christ. You are no longer who you once were, but you're now who Christ says you are. You're no longer dirty. You're completely clean. You're no longer lost. You're completely found. You're no longer an orphan. You are a son and daughter. As you sit here today in the midst of pain, in the midst of trying circumstances, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of wondering if God is really good, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of just being tired, I want you to hear this today. Jesus has redeemed you. He has purchased your future. And he has control of your present because he's that good and he's that kind and he's that gracious. So be joyful today, church. And I, and I don't say be joyful in a pandering way that says do away with your pain. No, no, no. Be joyful because no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus isn't walking out on you. 
Find joy in what you have, not helplessness and hopelessness in what you might not. Because just as Ruth now became the most valuable thing to Boaz, you already have the most valuable thing if you've accepted Jesus. It's him, and you can't lose him because he can't lose you. I love this. Only surrender your present to the one who has the power to purchase your future. Tomorrow, when you're tempted to surrender your present to your own attempts, surrender your present situations to someone else, surrender your present situation to what you feel, when you're tempted to do that, remember the one that had the power to purchase your future. And only surrender yourself to him. I love this. So he says, I cannot redeem it. Take the redemption yourself, and you pick up in verse 7, and it says, Now there was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. This is kind of cool. Essentially, what it was, this custom, someone who couldn't redeem basically a land, they would take off their sandal and they would give it to the other to show that they had given up their rights to essentially walk on the land. Basically saying, this is not my land, this is, this is your land, I'm not going to redeem it, so I'm giving my sandal to you to redeem it. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought the la- the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilon and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So what we see here are these various Old Testament customs coming together in what was called a Leverite marriage, which was essentially you had a widow, and then you had a, a relative that would marry that widow because he was connected in the line of the family so that the family wouldn't be cut off. What I love about this is what you don't see here is Boaz trying to do away with the past. Because there is a past. There's real stuff in the past. Milan and Chalon and Limelech, they, they all died. And I love Boaz's heart here. He's not saying completely do away with the past. He's saying, let's redeem the future. Let's redeem what's ahead. And I love these two words that are used here that you've seen used time and time again, redeem and purchase. These are beautiful, intentional words that are meant to point us back to Exodus, back to the story of the people that were in a destitute situation, in slavery, completely lost, but the children of God, and God would step in, and he would take their situation, and he would redeem them, and he would give them a better future. These are amazing words. That's what this points back to as you see these words pop up here. And not because of anything the people had done, because they were as rebellious as all get out. You want to read Exodus? You want to see some people who get crazy and wily and rebellious? It happens. But God doesn't walk away because of his grace and because of his kindness and because he's purchased them. And he's redeemed them And he's given them a new future. And he does the same for you. And he does the same for me. And I love what it says in Ephesians 1, 7. Hear these beautiful words. In him we have redemption through his blood. The only thing that could bring about the redemption that we need. The forgiveness of our trespasses. You're completely clean today if you're a child of God. According to your merit. According to how hard you work. According to the amount of faith that you can muster up tomorrow morning? No. 
according to the riches of his grace. His grace, his kindness, his mercy, we've been redeemed. Then all the people who were there at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez. By the way, he mentions this because this was another Leverite marriage where a woman was widowed, but she was brought in by um, a new husband, and he married her, and her future was redeemed, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so sometimes we just need to look back, especially when we see God redeem in some way in our life. Don't just completely keep pushing forward, but actually look back and see what happened. So you saw famine, you saw death, you saw confusion, you've seen desperation, but then in the midst of that, what you saw In Ruth's life is surrender. And now what we see come full circle is redemption. Something that should be so encouraging to the wounded heart, so encouraging to the broken heart, so encouraging to those of us who are in great seasons right now that we can go and comfort other brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are worn out, who feel hopeless, that we can come around and we can say this isn't the end. This isn't it. God hasn't turned his back on you. I believe it. I know it. Look at what he's done. Look at what he will do. What I love here is that Boaz had no obligation. Do you realize that? Boaz was not obligated to marry Ruth. Boaz was not obligated to purchase the land. Boaz was not obligated to take in Naomi. He wasn't obligated to any of that. He didn't owe Ruth a thing. Jesus wasn't obligated to come down. Jesus wasn't obligated to go to the cross. Jesus wasn't obligated to represent us. But he did. What we see is this pattern time and time again, God using unlikely people to bring about redemption. I think it's absolutely amazing. Who was Jesus born to? Mary, a teenager in Bethlehem, poor. People are gossiping about her. The Holy Spirit places a baby in her, something we've never seen before. He uses Mary, a teenager. Can you imagine today if you could think about someone that would, that would carry the Son of God, God himself, who would you pick? I promise you it wouldn't be a 14 to 16-year-old, right? But God chooses to use Mary. God chooses to use Moses, somebody with a speech impediment who couldn't even talk that well to lead his people out of Israel. God chose to use Daniel, this young kid, or David, this young kid, to come along and kill off a giant so that people could be redeemed and hopeful and be given life? God uses Ruth, a foreigner, a widow, nothing to offer, and he shows us the beauty of redemption. No matter who you are, you are not too far from God. No matter who you are, you are not a throwaway. No matter who you are, your sin is not too much. Even if everyone else looks down on you, God does not. What he sees in you is not a wreck. What he sees in you is not a toss away. What he sees in you is not more work. What he sees in you is a child that he wants to bring into the family. God is constantly adopting. His house never gets too full of kids. And it's the most joyful house you'll ever enter into. Kids who were helpless are now hopeful. 
This is his pattern to show us that his grace, his kindness, it's out of love alone. It's not out of merit. It's simply his love. He cares for us that much. But sometimes that is hard to see. Can I be honest? Sometimes that is hard to see because of the waiting and because of the unknown. And what I don't want you to hear here is that redemption doesn't mean Redemption doesn't mean we're completely void of pain. So let's not believe that lie today. That's, that's not the truth. Redemption doesn't mean we're completely void of pain. Some things you will walk through the rest of your life that are painful, but it, it, it means something far more than that. Redemption doesn't mean we're void of pain. God is redeeming Ruth but there's still a past. But hear this. Hear this. Because this is sometimes where we can get locked in. Especially because it's so close to us. We get locked in so much to just our present circumstance. That we forget that God has redeemed our future. That he has hope in front of us. He has hope in front of every single one of us. Now here's the deal. Redemption looks different for all of us. It's going to look different. It's not going to look the same for every single one of us. But here's what I want you to hear. Is that he will redeem his kids. He will redeem his kids. If you're unsure, let me show you some of the promises that pop up here. And I decided to pull the message because it communicates it in such an amazing way. Just hear a few of these verses if you're doubting today. Isaiah 41, 13. I, your God, have a firm grip on you and I'm not letting go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. He redeems his kids. Isaiah 54, 10, for even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. Deuteronomy 31, 8, God is striding ahead of you. He's already there. He already sees what your future looks like. He's got a smile on his face because he knows it's for good. I know it may not look like that now, but that's what this says, is that God is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. So don't be intimidated. Don't worry. Wait on him. Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse we, we often talk about, we often know well. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. The future your soul longs for. Philippians 4.19, you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity exceeding even yours and the glory that pours from Jesus. And the last one, Romans 8.28, I love this. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. He redeems. He's the God of redemption. And redemption may not look exactly like you think it might look. For some of us that have strong desires, desires that are embedded down deeply into our heart, redemption may, like, may look like being given new desires. And man, I'll tell you what, that can be hard to embrace here in the moment. But it's so true that God may give you new desires altogether. That the thing that you see in front of you that you hope for so much, you hope for so desperately, God may replace with something that is better, that is good in his perfect timing and in his perfect plan. It may look different for all of us. He may heal you in this life. He may heal you in the next. 
It looks different for all of us. He may take your addiction, the thing that you struggle with, the sin that you struggle with, he may take it completely away, break it completely, or he may, his redemption may be giving you the strength to stand day in and day out and resist it. And to give you others that stand in the corner with you and occasionally down in the gutter and help pull you out. The how and the when is unknown, and that can be the toughest part, but here's what I want you to hear. The if never is. He is a God of redemption, and he is redeeming, and he does have good for his children. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It comes from The Weight of Glory. Let me just read it quickly. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. It's not that in your pain, in your tough circumstances, in your doubt, you're not asking enough from God. It's often that we're not asking enough at all. We're asking too little. We're asking him to change a circumstance in our life when he wants to change your entire life. He wants to change your heart completely. He wants to align your heart with his. He wants to show you goodness. He is not holding out on you. He has good for you, even though you may not know exactly what it looks like. This is what God offers. And so, yes, absolutely, make your request known to him. Go to him. Don't run away from him. Share your pain. Share your confusion. Yell in your car if you need to. Do whatever you need to do. He can handle it. Bring it all to him. But I would encourage you in this, first and foremost, above all of those other requests, would you go to him asking that he would give you his heart? Would you go to him asking that he would align your desires with his desires? Because that's what actually leads to joy. Because that's what surrender looks like. So take all of those things to God. Don't don't hold them back. But above everything else, take your heart to him. Take your heart to him. Ask him to align it. Ask him to put it back together. Ask him to heal it. Ask him to show you his love. Ask Ask him to show you his desire for you. This book of Ruth, it's amazing, and it was written really to, to show us something phenomenal. It was to show us the signposts of God's grace in our lives, to help us trust in his grace even when the clouds are thick and we can't see the road, let alone the signs on the side of the road. There were setbacks in Ruth's life, no doubt, but they were all leading to her redemption to her joy, even in the bitterness, God is moving for our good with greater purpose than we realize. And here's what it really comes down to. If you want to get honest, you want to get real, it, it comes down to this. Is God good or is he not? God is either good or he's not. That's what it comes down to. Not a back and forth based on what you get from God today, so he's good today and I'll trust him today and he's trustworthy today, but if I don't get this tomorrow, then, then he's, he's not good, not a teeter-totter. That's not faith. That's not a, what a relationship with God looks like. Is he good or is he not? Is his timing perfect or is it not? What do I believe? And when you're in the in-between, that's when it's really tough. And I'll tell you as your pastor, I'm right there with you. I'm in the in-between. And the in-between is harder than I ever thought it would be. The in-between has been incredibly difficult. 
At times, the in-between has grown my faith in ways that I never thought it would. In times, the in-between has been rebellious. In times, the in-between has been incredibly gracious. The in-between can be so difficult. For me personally, when it comes to adoption, it's the in-between. Man, it's tough. When it comes to my mother's health, it's the in-between. Man, that is tough. When it comes to anxiety, which I struggle with and wrestle with, man, that can be tough. When it comes to doubts that sometimes I tend to have, it can be difficult. But with the same honesty, I'll tell you this, that every day when I wake up, I get to make a choice. Every day when you wake up, you get to make a choice. Who you'll trust and who you'll serve. Who you'll trust and who you'll serve. The greatest reminder and encouragement to me in the in-between has been remembering day in and day out, hear this, for your own heart, for your own soul, for your community, for the people around you, that Jesus is trustworthy in my present because he's already purchased my future. He is trustworthy because he's already shown me greater love than any other human could show me. I'm going to choose to stand with Jesus because where else can I go? Will you choose to stand with Jesus and will you help others stand with Jesus? Because he's good, his redemption is true, it may not look like you think it's going to look, but don't turn away from him. In the in-between, turn to him. He's good and he welcomes you in, beat up, bruised and all. So let me just once more encourage you in the same way. As we see this beautiful story play out of only surrendering your present to the one who has the power to purchase your future. And if you're a child of God, Jesus has made that purchase and he made it with something incredibly valuable, his very own life, because you're that valuable. If you know him, if you have a relationship with him, will you trust him today? Will you trust him tomorrow? Will you trust him with your future because he's already purchased it? If you don't know him today, I guarantee you one thing. He wants to know you. He wants to know you desperately. He wants nothing more than for you to come to him with your pain, your brokenness, your sin, to confess it, to give it to him, to give him your past, to give him your present, to give him your future. And guess what? He'll give you a renewed hope. A renewed hope, not just for now, but for eternity. When none of us are crying. When there are no wounds, when we haven't just been bandaged up, but we've been put completely back together in a perfect family, with a perfect dad, with a perfect brother, with perfect family members, made up of the poor, made up of the broken, made up of the black, made up of the white, made up with our brothers and sisters up on Aurora, made up with our brothers and sisters in third world countries that are being murdered for what they believe. We have a beautiful family reunion coming where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more heartache, there's only hope, there's only hope. All the death is put away, all the pain is put away, all the fears are put away. 
That the orphans are now adopted, that the childless are now brought in under an amazing family with an amazing father who's never leaving them, who would go to such great lengths to renew them, to give them hope for a future. Don't hang your heads today as you walk out of here. You may be hurting, you may be in pain, but in Jesus, you have such hope. Amen? Amen. 